Thank you for joining us for our Renewal City Church podcast. If you're looking for ways to get involved, join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Roxy Theater in Longview. Or find us online at rcclongview.org. We hope you're blessed and that this message finds you well. It is so good to be home and um, so grateful for uh, the team that led us in worship this morning and just the opportunity to, to be together, worshiping together. I haven't gotten to do that since the Sunday bef- that we left, so it's been, uh, I guess I missed three weeks in a row, um, and I don't, I don't know the last time I didn't go to church in some form or another for three weeks. I had planned to visit uh, one of our stops, was, was visiting my brother in Ireland, and, uh, and they settled there some years ago. My brother was a missionary in Lebanon for a decade and a half, and they've settled into this church plant in the last couple of years, and I was really excited to go and visit his church because I haven't gone to my brother's church since we were kids, you know. And, um, but I woke up Sunday morning so stinking sick, I, I had to not go. So, so I missed three weeks in a row. Now, I know that for some of you, missing three weeks in a row is just another month in, in your life. But, I, you know, if there's one place I got to be every week, it's at church. And so this is, it, it's new for me. It's so refreshing to be back. Um, yeah, I'm just really grateful. Um, grateful for all the people who covered teaching while I was gone. One of our missionaries, Jody Broom, was here. I, I did get to watch Tyler's teaching online. I haven't gotten to watch McKinsey's yet. Um, but uh, that magic trick was pretty amazing. It was even better in the video because uh, in the video, it's cut off at like here. And so when he reappears, all you hear is his voice. You don't even know where he is. And so it's, yeah, that was a neat, that was a neat trick. Um, uh, and then really grateful for all the people who just covered things. You know, it's nice to come home and the place hasn't burned down and it seems like all the bills were paid while we were gone and all of that. So uh, thanks so much to everyone who who covered things while I was gone, and thanks to all of you just for being here today. It wouldn't be the same without you. Uh, kids, I love having you here with us. Um, I was while, we, while I was away, I was just thinking about this thing we do in the summers where we have the kids hanging out with us, the older elementary age kids, for our teaching time. And, and, um, and it's just so important to me that each one of you young people knows that you're a vital part of our church and that you have a job to do, that God has brought you into this community, not just so that you can uh, grow here, but so that you can also contribute. And so I'm curious if any of you kids are ready to contribute today. Or Jack, are you ready to contribute? Big time? Yeah? Yeah. Okay. I've got something that I need you guys to help me out with. This is a little game we're going to play. Adults, you can contribute as well. Uh, I'm going to show you a series of pictures and the first picture is super zoomed in, and you have to try to identify the object in the picture. So we'll, we'll practice with picture number one here. What do you guys think that is? Anyone just shout it out. You just shout it out. A golf ball. Wow, look at that. That was amazing. A dirty golf ball. I don't know why if you took all the trouble to make the thing, you wouldn't wash the golf ball first. All right. This one's a little harder. This one's a little harder. Does someone do Who's cheating? You guys are cheating. All right. Let's let the kids try to get one. Let's let the kids try to get one. 
All right, kids, this might be your level here. Let's let's try to get this one. What do you think that is? This is way easier than I thought it was. <laughs> All right. All right. How about this one? This one might have you stumped. Oh, my gosh. Maybe I just have really bad eyes. Okay. Believe it or not, we're already to the end of the game. Here's the last one. This was supposed to be way harder. Who's that? Adults, feel free to jump in. Can anyone identify this? This. It's famed Arctic explorer Yukon Cornelius. From the 1940s stop motion Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Have you kids seen that? Have you seen Rudolph? So we had this thing that happened. It was it was either last Christmas or the Christmas before. And, and I don't know how many of you remember growing up and watching something like this. Some of you are maybe too old to even remember growing up and watching. You're like, yeah, my kids watch that. Um, but this was a stop motion Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer from like the 40s or 50s movie. How many of you have seen it? How many of you have seen it? How many of you have watched in the last five years? Okay, so I hadn't seen it since I was a kid, and I had this memory of a really good show. I've done this a couple of times <laughs> to my kids. And I thought, man, I would sure love for my kids to experience this highlight from my childhood. And so I, I think I couldn't find it on a streaming service, so I think I actually bought the stupid thing for, you know, 10 bucks or something. And we watched it, and this, this did not age well. This movie is boring and terrible. So that's my opinion anyways. Maybe some of you still love it and think it's charming. But, and I'm a sucker for stop motion, but this movie, it, so if you want to torture your kids this next Christmas season, have them watch this. But the, the redeeming factor, of course, is Yukon Cornelius. He's still great. And the only reason we're talking about Yukon Cornelius is because we're going to Acts chapter 10 today, where our adventure continues with a man named Cornelius. <laughs> um, but it's not entirely unrelated to what we'll be talking about today. Because unlike the zoomed-in picture game, I, I think oftentimes in our lives we can have a perspective that's maybe zoomed in or hyper-focused on something, so much so that we are unable to see the bigger picture. Uh, most of you could see the bigger picture in all of those photos today, but but I really think that one of the things the Holy Spirit is highlighting for us in this story is, is our, maybe our ability to be preoccupied with whatever we're zoomed in on or our inability to get outside of that perspective, to see God's perspective in the things that, that he sees. And so uh, you can turn to Acts chapter 10, and it's, uh, we're going to cover the whole chapter today and even move into 11 a little bit, so we're covering a lot of ground. I'll be reading, and then I'll be paraphrasing some of it uh, just for time's sake. But Acts chapter 10 starts off saying, At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius. He was a centurion in what is known as the Italian Regiment. So Cornelius is a Roman soldier, and he's a Roman soldier who has supervising duties over a hundred other soldiers. He and all of his family, this is verse 2, he and all of his family were devout and God-fearing. How do we know this? Well, Luke, the author of this, gives us some evidence. He says that he gave generously to those who were in need, and he prayed to God regularly. Now, one day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. 
Cornelius stared at him in fear and said, What is it, Lord? And the angel answered, Your prayers and your gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. So as the the setting is, is set for our story, we have a man named Cornelius who's praying. This man is known as a devout follower of God. And it's even a little bit repetitious in this first part of the story, but it mentions his prayers and his gifts to the poor as evidence that he is righteous before God, that this man is a pure soul, that he's a a good person. It's interesting to me that the evidence for righteousness before God relates to how this man behaves in his relationships towards others and how he behaves in his relationships towards God. His relationships towards others, he behaves well in those and is demonstrated by his willingness to be generous towards those who are without. Now, if, if you've ever been a guest in somebody else's home and you want to find out what this family is all about, what's important to them, one place you can look is their refrigerator door or maybe the side of their refrigerator if the front of their refrigerator is not magnetized. But on, on a family's refrigerator door is evidence of what they are all about. Probably not evidence of their taste and decor, but evidence of what they're all about. Things make it onto the refrigerator that are important to the family. I was uh, visiting my brother in Ireland, as I'd mentioned. He'd been a missionary in Lebanon. They, he and his, and his wife left the mission field uh, a number of years ago. He now works in the, in the tech sector. And, and, uh, and so he's a, they're a family that went from living as, you know, paupers, living off the kindness of the people of God as missionaries to now working in a steady, at a steady job. So a big change in their life. And there on their refrigerator was a saying, uh, typed up a quote from some preacher. It said, when God blesses you financially, don't raise your standard of living, raise your standard of giving. And uh, and that sign just stuck out to me, one, because I'd never heard it before, two, because it rhymes, so it's kind of catchy. And three, because you can tell when you spend time with them that this is something that their lives are all about. They were so generous with us in our time there and and just caring for us and hospitality. And then we see them being generous with other people, being generous with ministries. And in fact, I was telling the kids when we were leaving and kind of driving back to the airport to leave Ireland, we're sort of debating about the debriefing about the whole trip. I'm like, you guys, there are few people who are more pure-hearted than your aunt and uncle. It's just remarkable how gracious and generous and and just good towards others. Um, And then also with that, so amazingly content with what they have. Contentment's not something that we do super well in our culture and in our day and age. And, And yet they're just so content. And, and I think in a similar way, here we have God, through this vision, commending Cornelius on his generosity toward other people. And I think about that, and I think, man, if, if we could be one thing, you know, may we be people who live commendably generous towards those who are around us, people who are in need. There's some connection between our willingness to love others and, and use our resources to love others and our health in our relationship with God and our righteousness 
before him. Um, Cornelius is also committed for his prayer life. I'm thinking about this moment that's described in the beginning of this chapter where at three in the afternoon, Cornelius, you know, you know, goes into a, a trance, has a vision from God. And, and I'm thinking about my prayer life at three in the afternoon. And, and I'm lucky if I can finish a coherent thought, you know, at three in the afternoon in my prayer life. I mean, that's just that's just how it is, much less, you know, fallen into a trance. And I think about these maybe seasons in life where uh, God can feel distant or you just feel like, man, I, I feel like my prayers aren't getting through. Nothing's happened there. And then I think about how much time we'll invest into really connecting with God. And if there's something that stands out as a stark difference between us and the generation, the first generation of Christianity that's there in the book of Acts, uh, habits in our lives, man, our prayer lives is probably one of them. Um, If you're feeling distant from God, I would encourage you to reflect on how you're using your time to draw close to him. You know, in, in a very real sense, this relationship between us and God is all that matters. And yet, how often do we do we live our lives, especially our prayer life, like like it really matters? Uh, right relationship between God and humanity, right relationship between humanity and one another is what is set up as uh, as the standard for righteousness here in the beginning of the story. Anyhow, so we have Cornelius, the angel speaks to him. Uh, it says, when the angel, verse 7, when the angel who spoke to him had gone away, Cornelius called a couple of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants, and he tells them everything that happens, and then he sends him to Joppa to go and find this Simon called Peter. Verse 9, at about noon the following day, as, as they're on their journey heading to Joppa, Peter goes up onto the rooftop to pray. Here's another picture of someone. I've never gone to the rooftop to pray, but... Uh, Peter's on the rooftop praying. He becomes hungry and he wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, Peter falls into a trance. Then he saw heaven open and something like a sheet comes down to earth, lowered by its four corners. And it contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice said to Peter, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, said Peter. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. So in Peter's culture, there there has been an agreement for generations about what foods are kosher, what foods the Jewish people are allowed to eat and what foods they're not. And, and, they've, and there's an agreement that God has clearly spelled this out in his word, and the religious teachers have expounded on it for centuries and, and now God is telling Peter, kill and eat. He's not even telling him, kill, cook and eat. Kill and eat. That's a hard command to obey. I prefer to cook my food. Um, and you can see right away, Peter presumes this is a test of his righteousness. Ah, God's trying. To, I'm hungry, and he's tempting me with all of these unholy foods. And so he says, surely not, Lord. I've never eaten anything that's unclean. And, and I can imagine to some degree he says that. And he's probably feeling in his heart like, yes, I passed the test. I was hungry. Temptation came in the form of unclean food. And I said, no. Good for me. But the voice says to him a second time, do not call anything impure 
that God has made clean. And then this happens three times. So I'm imagining the whole thing happens three times. The vision starts over. Kill and eat. Peter says, I've never eaten anything unclean. Pass the test again. Still hungry. Still said no. Good for me. And then don't call unclean that which God has made clean. This happened three times and then the sheet was taken back up to heaven. So the message is, don't call anything impure which God has called clean. The command is to kill and eat the things even that the law forbids. And and then when Peter says no, the voice rebukes him, saying, no, don't call these things unclean. And the next verse, verse 17, has, has Peter wondering about the vision. He's perplexed. He's like, I don't know what this means. I thought I was passing the test, but I'm getting mixed signals on that. He's wondering about the meaning of the vision. And while he's sitting there on the rooftop wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men who were sent by Cornelius come to the door and they stop at the gate and they call out, asking if someone named Simon, who goes by Peter, is staying there. And while Peter's still thinking about this vision, verse 19, the spirit says to him, Simon, there's three men who are looking for you. So get up, go downstairs and don't hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them to you. This is kind of a relief for me, because note what brings clarity to this whole situation for Peter. Who is it that that connects the dots for him and brings him home? The Holy Spirit speaks to him. Ugh, thank God. Because here he is sitting on the roof trying to wonder what it's all about, and God doesn't leave him to stumble and figure it out on his own, but God meets him in that place of wondering and brings clarity to it. What is God saying to him? Is he saying, hey, Peter, the important takeaway is here that you can eat snakes now. That's not what God's saying to him. Of course, in his own wondering, he might have come away with that assumption. But he's saying to him, essentially, no, Peter, this wasn't about food in the beginning. This is about the three men. This is about this man named Cornelius and his family and his friends, about these people that I love. This isn't about you being someone righteous who's obeyed my law, but this is about me bringing into the knowledge of the gospel people who had formerly been far away. This is about lost sons and daughters becoming family, coming home to their creator. And it's also specifically about God eroding away the religious justification that Peter has had for his own bias in his life against those who aren't Jews like him. The big picture lesson here is, look, it is God who in the beginning called foods clean and unclean. It was God's authority that dictated these things for humanity. And it's that same authority that is now saying to Peter, kill and eat. And so the takeaway for us is, I guess it's God alone who gets to decide what is clean and what is unclean. If you're filling in the blanks, uh, I forgot to make slides for it, but that was one of them, kids. It's God alone who decides what is clean and what is unclean. A helpful, this is a helpful reminder for an apostle like Peter, especially helpful reminder for anyone who would presume to speak for God. Now, we believe to a certain extent, uh, well, I would say fully and completely, we believe that every believer is called to be a minister of the gospel in a sense. That everyone who follows Jesus is is called by God to bring the gospel to the world around him. In other words, to speak this truth of God to the world around us. In other words, to speak 
on God's behalf. It is really important for people who are commissioned to speak for God or to speak on God's behalf. It's really important that we remember that the authority for what is said resides with God and not within ourselves. Anyhow, the story continues, verse 21. Peter goes down, he says to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men reply, we've come from Cornelius the centurion. He's this really righteous, God-fearing man. He's been respected by all Jewish people. And this angel came and told him to ask for you, to invite you to come and speak to him and, and to hear what you have to say. So they invite Peter to come. Uh, sorry, then Peter invites the men to come into the house to be his guests. And here for a moment, we're starting to see that Peter's getting it. He invites these men to come in and stay. This is not typical behavior for a Jewish person back in this day. In fact, to invite these people in as guests goes against everything that Peter was raised to believe and how Jews related to the Gentiles, the people who are apart from God. Uh, part of the Old Testament principle of clean and unclean was this idea of, of uh, unclean being a contagious thing. So unclean people make clean people unclean. Of course, in the ministry of Jesus Christ, we saw a bit of a reversal in that where the one who is clean would come into contact with those who were unclean and he would make them clean. He would heal them. And and, and we, being the ones who are following in Jesus' footsteps, are supposed to key into that reversal in this principle. It is not so much about us being afraid of being made unclean by the people that we're around. It is about us being commissioned by God to go into an unclean world and be vessels of healing and righteousness and wholeness and cleanness being poured out, uh, transforming the world around us. And Peter's starting to get it. So he invites them in to stay with him. And, uh, and then the next day, he goes with them back to Caesarea. He goes with them to Cornelius' house. And, uh, and he, he walks into the house and finds that Cornelius has organized a meeting. Cornelius has a number of his friends and family members there. And, and as far as they know, this holy man Peter is coming from Joppa, and he has something to say to us. Uh, sorry, verse 27, we'll pick it up. Peter went inside. He found a large gathering of people. And so he said to them, you all are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Notice what Peter's takeaway was from the vision after he'd had a day to think about it. His takeaway is now, God has shown me something. I shouldn't call anyone unimpure or unclean. I need to be thinking about people differently than I thought about them before. It says, so when I was sent for, I came to you without raising any objection. Now may I ask why you sent for me? He's not sure why he's there yet. Cornelius answers, three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour. And at, at three in the afternoon, suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me. And he said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayers. He's remembered your gifts to the poor. And he told me to send to Joppa for Simon, who's called Peter. He's a guest at the host of Simon the Tanner who lives by the sea. And so I sent for you immediately, and, I, and it is good for you to come. And now we're all here in the presence of God together to listen to everything that the Lord has commanded you to say. 
As I'm reading this story, I'm laughing a little bit to myself because I have some experience in cross-cultural missionary work. And if any of you have had any experience in cross-cultural missionary work, you know that when you show up as the missionary into a gathering, you'd better be ready to preach. Because they don't always communicate it to you beforehand, but you show up and then you realize, oh, there's 50 people here to listen to what I have to say. And I had no idea. I was the guest speaker right now. And I guess it's my turn to preach now. And this is, this is exactly what happened to Peter. So it's a biblical practice. So be ready for it. Anyhow, uh, so they're all here to listen to what the Lord has commanded you to tell you to tell us. Peter's like, okay, what did the Lord command me to tell them? I don't remember digging in his pocket for his notes. Like, I got to have a good one here. Anyhow, Peter begins to speak. He says, point number one, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. Think about that statement. God does not show favoritism. This is actually the root principle of the the Old Testament Hebrew concept of justice. This idea that God treats all people the same, that we're all measured by the same standard. God doesn't just choose to have favorites and give special treatment to certain people, but he looks at humanity and loves them equally. Somehow this idea was lost, though, in how the Jews looked at themselves and how they looked at the people around them. They'd forgotten that the whole purpose of God revealing himself to them was so that through them he could reveal himself to the people around them. They forgot the whole reason that God was reconciling Abraham and his family to himself was so that through this family, he could reconcile all of the nations. At Renewal, we like to say Jesus is for everyone because we believe that God's plan, his desire, his heart is to reconcile everyone to himself. We also believe that God isn't just about what he wants to do for us, but he's very, very mindful about what he can be doing for everyone in our community when we're willing to be used by him as as ambassadors of reconciliation. We also say Jesus is for everyone because and, and Jesus uses everyone because we're reminded that God doesn't have favorites or certain people that he thinks are are favored or more desired than others. God isn't looking at at the pastor in a community and valuing that person above the burger flipper. He's not looking at a businessman in the community and valuing them above a a homeless man in the community. You know, to borrow a line from the Apostle Paul, that in Christ there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female. We're all one in Christ. Peter says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. But he accepts from every nation the one who fears God and does what is right. He says, you know the message that God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who's Lord of all. And you also know what happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, and how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And this Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. So Peter's saying to these people who are gathered in in Cornelius' house, hey, you know these stories, you've heard about these things that happened, you've heard about Jesus' ministry, you've heard about the power he had to heal and do good. 
Then he says, and we were witnesses of everything that he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And they killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. And he wasn't just seen by all the people, but he was seen by witnesses whom God had already chosen. He was seen by us and those who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And then this Jesus commanded us to preach to people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. And all the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins through his name. When you've been invited into a group of people and you've been put on the spot to speak, this isn't a bad place to go. Just tell the story of Jesus. Talk about who he is. and Talk about God's plan for him. That anyone who believes in him would be saved by the, from their sins by his name. While Peter's still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit comes on everyone who's in the gathering. Everyone who heard the message. The circumcised and the uncircumcised alike. And those who were with Peter, the Jewish believers, the circumcised believers, they're astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit is poured out on these Gentiles, on Cornelius' household and his friends. And they can hear Cornelius' household and his friends. They can hear him speaking in tongues and, and praising God. And this is just what happened in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit fell on them. And Peter sees this whole thing unfolding before him, and he says, Surely no one can stand in the way of these Gentiles being baptized with water because they've just received the Holy Spirit in the same way that we were. So he ordered they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and they asked Peter to stay with them for a couple of days. Baptism is to the New Testament what circumcision was to the Old Testament. Baptism is to the New Covenant what circumcision was to the Old Covenant. So God made a covenant with Abraham, said, I'm going to bless you. Through you, all the world's going to be blessed, and, and follow me, I'll be your God. And then he commanded Abraham to, to circumcise uh, all of the male members of his household as a sign that they belong to the family that was a part of this covenant. And then all throughout the Old Testament, God's people used that, marked every male member of the covenant as belonging to the covenant through circumcision. Now, today, God's people embrace a ritual that is a little less physically barbaric and a little more inclusive because males and females can be baptized and it won't leave any uh, any physical scars on you. We just dunk you in the water, you come back out, great. Um, but it's the same idea that through this ritual, you are marked as belonging to this new covenant. You're a part of the covenant family now. You're a part of this thing that God is doing between God and humanity. Uh, we'll have a couple of opportunities for baptism this summer. One's going to be on August 6th when we're out there for outdoor church. Uh, we'll have a pool set up, and, and if anyone wants to be baptized then, we would uh, come and have a conversation with me. We'd love to do it then, and then we'll also be doing it a month later on Labor Day weekend. We'll have another outdoor church service uh, up at, uh, in Rose Valley, and we'll be doing baptisms that day as well. Um, anyhow, Peter sees all that's happening, and he has this epiphany that these people should be included in the covenant family as well. That, you know, God has embraced them as the Father, so if God has embraced them, who are we as the fellow 
sons and daughters to say to them, no, you can't be in the family. So he says, we should baptize these people. It would be great if the story ends there. It'd be really great if the story ends there. But beginning in Acts chapter 11, the apostles and the other believers who are in Judea hear about what happened with the Gentiles. In fact, verse 11 starts saying the apostles, the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So the next time Peter went up to Jerusalem, the Jewish believers criticized him. Is that what you were expecting to hear? That he got criticized for this wonderful harvest that he made for his successful mission trip? No, that's not what you're expecting to hear. What's going on here? They criticized him. They said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and you ate with him, with them. They're really zoomed in on one thing that they thought was super important. And that is the foods that you do eat and don't eat. And that is the people that you hang out with and you don't hang out with. Everything they say to Peter is true, right? The criticism is fair. Yes, I did that. I went into their house and I ate with them. What are we missing though? We're missing the fact that the thing that God was trying to do all along has taken another step toward completion in this new thing. That God's plan that always was to include those who are outside of the covenant into the covenant is now happening. They were way too zoomed in on it. They couldn't see it. And this is a reoccurring problem. And so, so in, in chapter 11, Peter explains himself. Yeah, he, he's like, look, I had a vision. It was God who makes calls things clean and unclean. Uh, number two, the Holy Spirit has commanded us to accept these Gentiles into the covenant as a part of the family of God. Number three, hey, God poured his Holy Spirit out on these Gentiles. We saw it happen. They were doing the whole thing, the speaking in tongues, and the praising God, the, the thing that happens. In fact, he says this in verse 15. He says, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them in the same way he came on us at the beginning. He says, then I remembered what the Lord had said, that John baptizes with water, but that I am going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. So, so I said, if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? Peter's saying, look, God is doing something new. I saw the evidence of it. I saw what he was doing. And I asked myself the question, who am I to stand in God's way? This is something that I think is important that we ask ourselves and we see evidence of God at work. God's job is, is to, you know, be Lord over all and, and, and command and make things clean and, and transform the universe with his amazing love. Our job, kids who are filling in the blanks, our job is to obey him. Our job is to obey God. Sorry, I've gotten off my notes here. Our job is to obey God. Yep. Blank being job, second blank being obey. Our job is to obey God. All right, we got it. Um, this is a bit of a reoccurring theme, though. So when they hear what Peter says, they, they, they kind of soften down on it. They have, don't have further objections. They actually praise God. They're like, oh, that's great. So I guess God is bringing the Gentiles and granting them repentance that leads to life as well. Things get turned around here, but we see this as a reoccurring 
theme in Scripture all the time, where the knee-jerk perspective of the people of God is a little too small, or the knee-jerk reaction is to object to what God is doing in the moment. God's people are rarely thinking big enough on our first try. We, bar- we rarely get it. And, and sometimes we rarely get it on the third try, even after we got it right on the second try. As, as we're finishing up here, there's, there's, there's uh, one last thing I want to point out, and that is that later on, Peter is famously confronted by another apostle, Paul, for his mistreatment of Gentile believers in that season. He's gone and he's, he's visiting uh, some believers in a different city, and, and Peter's acting one way around the, believer, uh, the Gentiles. Uh, at the beginning of it, he's accepting, he's warm towards them. But then some other Jewish people show up, and when these new Jewish people show up, Peter's not really sure what they think about Jews fraternizing with Gentiles. And so he changes his behavior, and he begins to behave differently. And, and Paul actually confronts him, and, and they have it out a little bit over it. But I was thinking about that and just how much of a struggle it can be for us to consistently do what God has called us to do. And there's a bit of a comforting thought for me in the fact that the one who is the first person of influence in the church to say, God loves these people too, let's see them included in what he's doing, is also the one who's struggling to love them and and include them in what God is doing further down the road. Um, it just reminds me that, that thankfully God is so patient with us and, and reminds me that we should be patient with one another through this process when we're, we're really trying to be who God has called us to be. I really think we should be people who are quick to remind one another of the bigger picture, especially in moments when we see each other getting stuck on maybe the, the zoomed-in issues. Um, and we really need to be committed to letting God's Spirit guide us towards those that He's uh, calling us to speak to. Um, part of God's plan for us is that you would be a voice proclaiming the gospel in the world around you. And, uh, and we just cannot afford to get hung up on who um, hung up on who might be listening when that's our command to go and do that. Um, it doesn't work to proclaim that God doesn't show favoritism when we're showing favoritism ourselves. It doesn't work for us to be proclaiming God and, and proclaiming who he is and this, this person who's unchanging and faithful all the time and, and we're living our lives inconsistently and up and down and all of that. And so, um, so I really think in this story as we look at what God is, is doing in breaking the gospel outside of the boundaries of where it was contained in that season, I think part of what we want to ask ourselves is where is God wanting to see his kingdom grow outside of our own boundaries? Um, Let's pray. Father, we are, uh, we believe that we're not here by mistake. We believe that each of us has a home where we live in a neighborhood that was strategically picked out by you. We believe that each of us works or spends our days in the places that we spend our days because you have a strategic plan for revealing your gospel to the people around you. This thing that Peter proclaimed that in Jesus Christ is the one who will will judge all of creation and that in belief in him, 
is where we find forgiveness of sin and eternal life. Holy Spirit, would you anoint our mouths and our lives to proclaim that message to the people around us? And would you erode away any any religious justification we would have that would uh, would make us bias against others or would cause us to close our mouths when you're wanting us to speak? We really do believe that you are doing a wonderful and remarkable thing in humanity, and we really want to take our place in doing that along with you. And so uh, would you make us fit to be partners in this adventure? In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we're going to finish the service at the Lord's table, so if we could have the worship team come back up. Uh, I think part of what the, what the most dramatic shift I think that the early generations of the church, particularly those with the Jewish background, really, really struggled with is this whole idea of clean and unclean. Because for generations, their religion told them that if you do this and this and this, then you will be clean. And if you stay away from these people, these people, these people, or if you're around these people doing these things, doing these things, then you'll be unclean and you're unfit for this thing. And Jesus really transformed that when he demonstrated the power of God residing in humanity such a way that the clean makes the unclean around it clean rather than the opposite, the clean becoming tainted by those things that it's around. And um, this can feel like dangerous and dicey territory for Christians to walk into nowadays because we too are really conditioned to feel like there's and and also because there probably is a, a to a certain degree there's some vulnerability that we have for who we're around or who we associate with or what kinds of things we do. But uh, this is where I think uh, a sacrament like communion becomes so important, and and the discipline of like uh, a vibrant prayer life and meaningful Christian relationships becomes so important because if we are are eating a constant diet of the presence of God, then that transformative power resides in us. And the more, uh, the more that we will venture out into a broken world, the, the more healing that we will see pouring out of us into it. And so there's a part of this where uh, we can become incredibly effective uh, tools for God's redemptive power being at work in our community if we are doing all of those things uh, in the right way, if we're eating and drinking of the goodness of God and, and being filled with uh, the person of the Holy Spirit and the presence of Jesus Christ. And so I don't know exactly why it works this way, but there is something about coming before the Lord's table and receiving the bread and the cup each week and receiving the body and the blood of Christ each week that I think is particularly empowering in that venture. And, uh, and so uh, today as we, as we come to the table, uh, we are eating and drinking the, the body and the blood of Christ. We're receiving that as spiritual nourishment for our souls, as, as spiritual power for the mission that he's calling you to this week. And, and in a similar way, when we come together as the people of God, uh, I really think that the fellowship that we have with one another is meant to feed that as well. Uh, this is one of the reasons why we'll do things like small group discussions or take time for fellowship after the service. If you are, are coming in 
and listening to a teaching, singing a couple songs, and then jetting out there without really connecting to people, you are missing out on some of the spiritual food that you are meant to eat. And 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 then you're going out into a vulnerable and, and hostile and dangerous world not being filled up on the things that you need to be filled up on. And so I just want to encourage you in, in the time that we have remaining today uh, to really eat, eat and drink deeply of those spiritual food that's present here in this space for you to have. And, and um, uh, starting with the body and the blood of Christ and then continuing on in the opportunities you have to fellowship and pray for one another and, and minister to one another in the needs and the places that you have and the hopes and dreams and the aspirations that you have for uh, serving his kingdom this week. And so uh, so let's just pray once again and then we'll get to that. Lord, uh, we just thank you so much for your sacrifice. Uh, we believe that it is your holiness and your sacrifice that makes this possible. Uh, we believe that... Uh, that apart from you, we aren't empowered for any of this. Uh, we are just the, the unclean becoming more and more unclean as we as we uh, wallow around in the trough. Uh, but we believe that through your redemptive power, something remarkable and incredible is happening inside each of us. Where you have made us clean. You have washed us. You've clothed us in riot robes that are whiter than snow. And you are sending us into a world to, have, to, to, to touch that world with the same transformative touch that you have. And so uh, in the same way that Peter went boldly to uh, Cornelius' house, uh, we ask that you would empower us by your Holy Spirit to go boldly into the world around us. And uh, we pray that we would have eyes that were open to see the evidence of your Holy Spirit descending upon and baptizing the people around us as well. You are the one who transforms. You are the one who makes the unclean clean. And so uh, we just put our hope in your power.